morning. How are we all today? All right. How about we start um, just by praying together. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can um, share it together this morning. Lord, we ask that you would um, continue to, to move us as you have been moving us in the service, that you would continue to change and challenge our hearts, and that you would help things to sit, um, to sit deep within us for us to reflect on this week. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So um, last week, David shared with us um, this principle that God is on the move. That our God is a seeking, oh, seeking God. That's a bit better, isn't it? Um, That he initiates and acts first. So this morning, we're going to continue thinking about that and how we have a God who is at work in the world, a God who initiates, and we're going to see that through the story of Jesus as he calls the first disciples. Um, as we look at this passage this morning and unpack it together, I want to invite you to listen out for the ways that Jesus is initiating, but also the ways that people respond to him. People um, have a choice, we have a choice, as God initiates. We have a choice to take steps toward him or away from him. So we're going to start this morning by looking at um, Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 3, and they go like this. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. So he sat in the boat And he taught the crowds from there. So here we have this picture of a large crowd that's gathered around Jesus. And as they listen, they they kind of step in. And it's naturally what happens when you um, want to hear better or see better. People start to push to the front. If you've ever been in kind of a concert or a festival, people want to kind of get closer. And so there's this pressing in that kind of happens. And Jesus is on the beach, so he's run out of room to step back from the people. Um, And so he sees a couple of boats there on the beach. And the boats that belonged um, to the fishermen who'd been fishing overnight, they're now washing their nets out. And one of these fishermen was a man named Simon. And Simon isn't there to listen to Jesus. He isn't one of the crowd. He hasn't been following Jesus around, listening to him teach as far as we know. But he does know Jesus. He's met him. In the previous chapter of Luke, we see that Simon invites Jesus home to his home um, after he's spoken in the synagogue on the Sabbath. Um, That part of Luke, um, Luke 4, 38, goes like this. After leaving the synagogue that day, Jesus went to Simon's home, where he found Simon's mother-in-law very sick with a high fever. Please heal her, everyone begged. So standing beside her, At her bedside, he rebuked the fever and it left her. And she got up at once and prepared a meal for them. So Simon knows Jesus. He's experienced Jesus' um, ministry and and miraculous healing. But he isn't pursuing Jesus. He's not moving towards Jesus. He's just moving on with his life. Simon is a man with a job. And this particular morning, he's minding his own business. Actually, really, literally at this, this moment, washing his nets for his business. 
And into his life and his livelihood steps Jesus, asking for help. I don't think we often think about Jesus wanting help, but he does. He needs a bit of a gap between him and the crowd. So he asks Simon to push his boat out a little bit into the water so he can sit down and teach the crowd and not feel that, that pressure. And it turns out that Simon is willing to do this. And so now, while Jesus is speaking, Simon is listening. He kind of has to. He's been placed front and centre. He's manning the boat. And we, we don't get detail about what Jesus spoke about in that moment. Luke focuses instead of what, in what, as what happens when Jesus finishes teaching. So if we turn back to the passage and we pick it up in verse 4, it goes like this. So when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out to where it's deeper and let down your nets and catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all night and we didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were so full of fish that they began to tear. And a shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. When Simon Peter realised what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him. His partners, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. Jesus replied to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. And as soon as they landed, they left everything and they followed Jesus. Now, there's a bunch of things that happen here in kind of quick succession. But just walk through it with me a bit more slowly. Jesus makes another request of Simon. Let's go get some fish. At the beginning of that passage, Simon and his crew were washing their nets after an unsuccessful night out fishing. So pretty tired, but it's morning. That's a reasonable assumption, I think. And then Jesus walks along and he commandeers this boat and he teaches the crowd for a little while. So it's probably getting on towards the middle of the day. Is anyone in a keen fisher here? Anybody been fishing? Do you go fishing in the middle of the day? No, because the fish tend not to bite in the middle of the day. It's not, it's not the right time to go fishing. Um, just so you know, I'm not a great fisher, fisher person, but I, I do know that that's not when you fish. You go in the morning, you go at dusk, you go overnight, but midday is just not the point in time that you pick. Simon is a professional fisherman. He knows what he's doing. He knows that this is not right. Nevertheless, after listening to Jesus and possibly from the encounters that he's had before this moment, Simon has respect for Jesus, enough respect to override his experience and his knowledge and do as Jesus suggests. And I feel like that's quite a lot of respect, quite a lot of humility um, and willingness on Peter's, on Peter, Simon's behalf um, to obey. Most of us, when an area of our expertise kind of comes up, we like to assert our knowledge a little bit, don't we? Hopefully graciously, but we, we like to kind of say, mm, it's not right. Peter doesn't do that. He says, oh, I'm not sure about that, but if you say so, we'll do it. Now, Simon might not be aware of it, but just as Jesus, um, as he commandeers his boat and, and as he asks these requests, 
Simon in his obedience is moving towards Jesus, moving towards God. So they go out on the lake and they end up with this giant haul of fish, so much so that they need another boat to carry it um, home. And then a curious thing happens. Simon has a moment where he realises that this haul of fish is only possible because of Jesus. And in that moment, he falls to his knees and he is humble again and he says to Jesus, Oh Lord, please leave me. I am a sinful man. It's an odd response, I think. He's obviously amazed at the number of fish. The Bible tells us so. But his response isn't gratefulness. He doesn't say, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is all the fish that we need to make our business turnover for the next two months. Instead, faced with what can only be a miracle, Simon recognises his own failures and his inadequacies. And he says essentially, you know what? Don't ask me for any more help. You are holy and obviously completely competent and I am not. You should not be in the presence of someone like me. I am not useful to you. In this moment, Simon is metaphorically kind of taking a step back. He's moving away from God. He says, I'm not right for this. You don't want me. I don't fit here. Has anyone ever felt that way about Jesus? You're in good company. Jesus says to Simon, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And Jesus would say that to you too, if you're feeling like Simon. He says, don't be afraid. I'm going to take the things that you are good at. I'm going to train you. And you can come and you can work with me. Simon felt fear. Fear of not living up to expectations. Fear of missteps or mistakes. Fear of bringing shame to Jesus, this rabbi. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. And so Simon responds and he follows Jesus. Fear can hold us back from moving towards God and towards the things that he has for us. And fear is a funny thing. I think it's useful to us. It stops us from hurting ourselves. But too much fear or fear of things that probably can't hurt us or won't hurt us is debilitating, can be. And I think our fear is not always driven by our circumstances alone, but how we look at them. The story I shared earlier in the service about Lizzie and the slide, it's not that she's fearless because she doesn't understand the circumstances. She definitely looked down. She knows how high it is. She's fearless because she's with her dad. She trusts him completely. This story um, is referenced as the call of the first disciples. When we hear that word disciple, it's a little bit foreign, but in Jesus' day, discipleship was relatively common. It generally worked different, though, than um, how we see here. Normally, a rabbi like Jesus would teach crowds and develop a following. And then out of that following, there would be these kind of keen and really astute followers who would seek the permission of the rabbi to pursue discipleship, so they kind of go and ask, is it okay if I apply to be a disciple? And then they'd apply, and then the rabbi would make a selection from those applicants. So once selected, the 
the sole goal of the disciple was to learn by imitation. So they entered into all parts of the life of the rabbi. And then someday in the future, when they are declared a mature disciple, they're allowed to go out and um, develop their own set of followers and their own set of teaching. Jesus reverses this, if you think about it. He teaches the crowd and then essentially turns to his new mate in the boat and says, how about you? You pretty faithful guy. You win. I'll share my life with you. You come, you come along, you learn. How about it? There aren't hoops. There isn't an application process. Just as Jesus can bring in a haul of fish in the middle of the day, he can do amazing things through ordinary people if they're willing to step out in faith. We see it here, and if you read through the Gospels, you'll see it again and again. Jesus initiates. Jesus is on a mission and he goes to the people. He's not waiting for applicants. Jesus chooses Simon and he asks Simon to be on the move with him, moving toward God, moving toward the kingdom. Simon thinks that he's far from God, that he's unworthy to follow Jesus. He would never seek to apply to be the, follower, the disciple of a rabbi. It's not, he's a fisherman, but he's humble and he's obedient and he's faithful. And it's this Simon that's in the passage that Paul read out for us earlier. That's why I keep flicking in my mind between Simon and Peter. Because there comes a day in his life where Jesus says to Simon, Simon, son of John, you will be Peter, the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. Simon not only moves toward God, but would become instrumental in helping others to move towards God. If you've heard the Easter story, though, you know that um, Simon Peter isn't a rock instantly, is he? He continues to have these moments of moving to and from God. And most memorably, Peter takes that big step back from Jesus when he denies knowing him during Jesus' trial and crucifixion. This kind of ebb and flow in our faith is not what we aspire to, but it is often our reality. We are human and sometimes we step back. But Jesus doesn't step away from us. Sometimes I think um, we can feel like we're trying so hard to hold fast to God that we have to do all this work to hang on to him so that um, we don't end up somewhere we shouldn't be. And we forget that he's the one who's holding us and he's not letting go. Will you join me as we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the one who initiates. You are the one who comes. You are the one who steps into our lives and our livelihoods. Lord, we thank you that you are um, one who doesn't let go, that you hold, hold fast to us, that we can trust you completely as we step in faith with you. Lord, we pray that you would help us to be people who are moving towards you, towards God, towards the kingdom. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week we saw that God was on the move and um, we see that Jesus here is on the move and he's inviting people, people into that. And next week we'll be looking at the stories that we find in Acts. We see the Holy Spirit is on the move. 
But what we also see through all of these um, phases is that we are being asked to move. As we follow Jesus, that following involves us taking steps. Steps toward Jesus or steps towards the things that he might have for you. So I've got some questions for us just to reflect on together this morning. So at the moment, how could you be moving towards God more? Um, Jesus doesn't have to. You know, he's obviously very capable, but he chooses to work with Peter, with Simon, with us. He wants our help, not because he needs it, but because he wants it. So what might he want you to help with? When I was um, preparing for this message, um, it's not the part of this passage that has often stood out to me before, but the words, um, don't be afraid, uh, really stood out to me. And so I wanted to ask you this morning, how do those words, don't be afraid, encourage you to take steps toward Jesus? We'll um, have some time just to reflect. Um, there's going to be some music. If you'd like to use the response cards to write something down or um, put something in the chat if you're on Zoom, feel free to do that. And we'll just um, take a few minutes just to reflect and um, hear what God is saying to you.
Oh Lord God, we thank you for your word to us. We thank you that you, um, you are the, the God who initiates. You are the God who moves in the world, that you're a work in us and working at others in the world. Lord, we pray that you would give us eyes to see you at work. As you send us out from this place, we ask that you would um, help us to be people who um, look for you and respond to you and take steps towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.